The Creative Trust podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we create and record this podcast as the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. You know, the minute we get attached to a single platform or a definition of what we of how we do PR, I think that's when you've really lost the game. The Creative Trust podcast is an exploration into the minds of some of the world's best creatives. We are endlessly fascinated with the ephemeral and the intangible. We make sense of it through our creative process. Over the last two decades, we have created countless installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. Gloss Creative and our stellar alumni share everything with you, how people become creative and what we know to be true about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative as her way of navigating creatively through life, learning early on that she could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that last long after the physical immersion have gone. It crystallised her long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force. And creative renewal is your most important weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. What a great afternoon this is. I'm sitting in front of Jade Roberts from Rara PR. Welcome, Jade. Thank you. Good I'm to be here. Oh, I am so excited that you're here. No one knows or understands what PR is, what public relations is. So yeah. I am over the moon that you are going to myth bust everything that we think we know about it. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to have you here. So thank you. Well, it's lovely. I always enjoy my chats with you. And the funny thing is they could go in any direction. Yeah. As they knows? do. But you, um, yeah. happy to be here to demystify PR and everybody needs it. Everybody knows they need it, but they don't always quite understand how it works. So me included. Yeah. So very happy for that. And just before we started this recording, I was so excited to find out that you two love quotes. I do. I actually... I was I was saying to my friend this morning, I speak in quotes. So <laughs> I think the reason, and when I say speak in quotes, I'm talking about PR quotes. And I think I've had to do that over the years to kind of, you know, make it really, really clear what PR is. Mm. And some of the best, you know, the, the easiest way to do that is to just speak in a quote. Soundbite. Yeah, soundbites. Yeah. Bundle it up. I live. I'm. I live by them. <laughs> I love a quote. We nerd out on quotes here all the time. Well, we so. can. St we can just start riffing quotes back and forward. We Great. Can actually have a. I'm game. sure we will. I'm sure we will. I met Jade a long, long time ago. Back when I think you were the sports girl PR. Yeah. Person, which was amazing. Exactly. And then obviously um, we worked together um, with. Ron N from Fabio Garato, yes, for the uh, GPO, Melbourne's GPO, yeah, which was amazing. Yeah, our stars so, stars have collided a I lot know. of times, haven't they? I know. And it's always been work that sort of kept yeah. us together. And yeah. and also, I've you know, you're someone that I 
look up to and, and and get a lot of inspiration from as well. So this is it's really neat to be here chatting to you. Oh, thank you. It's it's pretty exciting. So as you know, I there's so much I know about you, but there's I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot I don't know about you. Yeah. And in particular, the question that we always ask brings up so much joy for a lot of people. So the first question I have for you is how did you get creative? Wow. It's that's a big question. And I'm sure a lot of people would probably say, and it's probably true, that creativity can be cultivated and it can be nurtured. And But I, I do think that, you know, to be driven to be creative is something that's probably already within you very young. So uh, I just remember, yeah, as a, as a young kid being always drawn to writing and always drawn to fashion and always drawn to design and I think, um, I've just looked for ways to, you know, be around the heart of creativity as much as I could. Beautiful. So at school and, you know, when you're, you know, wasting your time as a child, what sort of things did you do? What did you spend your time doing? Well, I I convinced my mum at a very, very young age to let me get a perm. So I had, and because my hair's so fine, as you can see, I pretty much had a white afro for, for several years. So I had this rah-rah skirt and that's not where the business name came from, but I loved fashion really, really young, um, rocked around in my rah-rah skirt, my big white afro perm in the 80s. Cool. Um, the PR persuasion skills were, um, they were there early on because to convince your mum to let you get a perm at 10 years old, yeah, I think there was some. I love that. And I am very interested in the PR persuasion. Yeah. I remember talking to Jess Clark who lives in the United Kingdom. She's done amazing things in the beauty PR space. And when we worked together at Country Road, she recalls that in grade two, she could literally sit down next to any other girl in the class and convince her, that child, what to do just by flattering her or saying whatever she needed to say to get the required outcome. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, does it happen that early? So when, when you talk about persuasion, what do you mean by that? Oh, look, now, now I think I'm going into a place, you know, that <laughs> P, PR, you know, the perception of what PR is often can be that it's smoke and mirrors or it's, you know, it, it, it's centred in persuasion, but um, and I've I've just mentioned persuasion with the whole perm story, but yeah, I think you know, an ability to convince people to think a certain way, you know, persuasion. I guess it's all about encouraging people to open their mind to something, and I guess at ten years old with that perm story, mm. I was mum could see well on your this, way. This kid is passionate about design, fashion. My bedroom was covered in magazines. There was not any wall left except for the covers of magazines and you know clippings of things that I loved so what was your favorite magazine at the time look there we had a bit of a, a dearth of quality magazines back then didn't we it would have been the it would have been Vogue Dolly Cosmo all the things at that age that we had but, um, beautiful yeah we've got so many content opportunities now and and the and magazines it has evolved too but yeah loved all those mag mags back then was your education especially in your teenage years at school, was it fostered? Was it a hindrance? Was it helpful? 
Well, at school, I was really involved in sport, actually. So I was, you know, had a really big sporting life, but there was a graphic design and visual arts teacher that could see something in me from the creative side as well. And I think it can take just one teacher to kind of see that there's, you know, creativity that can be cultivated there or just, you know, even just, you know, just a gentle nudge in one direction can really just help you have that self-confidence you need to pursue something. But I think when I reflect on creativity for me, it's probably for like a lot of people, it's just that undeniable, inexplicable need to create. And that that's always been there for me. So, you know, you asked earlier about my childhood and, and being a little kid. And I just, I remember writing stories and putting them in glass bottles and hiding them in the paddock, hoping that some kindred spirit would find them. And I think just that need to write and that need to create, it's, it's always been there, but it can take just one teacher to see that, to kind of encourage it. So yeah, at school, I was really involved in photography, visual arts, graphic design, and had a love for fashion really, really early on. Amazing. It, there's so there's a lot of those branches from everything that you've just said. Yeah. And I am very interested, or I would say over half of the people that we've talked to have a fascination and a skill with words yeah. um, as a way of designing, as a way of telling a story as a way of navigating, mm. communicating. So were you like good at English? Always good at English, yeah. Mm. Really loved English and English lit, writing long-form stories. And, and I actually had a tutor as well in I think it was year 11 and 12 for English lit and it wasn't because I necessarily, I wasn't falling behind. I, was, I wanted to just support that skill as much as possible because I, I loved it. So, yeah, writing. I, th- I think if you strip everything away in terms of m- my personal creativity and my relationship with creativity, if you strip everything away, all the layers of PR and design and event production, it really comes back to words for me. Beautiful. I love that. I've also noticed, obviously, you know, working with you, you're super organised. Were you super organised as a kid? I was. I was strangely, although, you know, I would debate the organisation skills at this point in my life with three kids and a business and I do find it very difficult to get to places on time. Yeah, but that's just prioritising. Okay. You're you're prioritising now. (laughs) Yeah, but I I was. I had a very clean bedroom. I made the lunches and um, I, I was really involved in elite sport right through my high school years. So you know, training at 5am. What were you training in? I did triathlon at a national level. Yeah. Wow. That's so, incredible. Um, yeah. I, I, Looking back now, I just, I, it, yeah, it was an amazing time in my life. And I've, I think the skills that you learn through sport, you know, whatever it is that you do, whatever sport and whatever level you get to, the skills that you learn through um, organisation, like you say, leadership, team building and the mentoring as well that you get from Mm. being involved in sport and being coached. Yeah, being coached. And I I think I've always seeked that out in my life, whether it's sport or whether it's business or whatever it is, always seeked out that mentorship Mm. and encouragement that I think you actually need to Mm. get through life. Mm. You need people to believe in you. It's really interesting. Um, I think for my generation, you know, when you had a tutor, as you said before, 
you weren't falling behind. But if you had a tutor when I was young, it was because you were falling behind. Yeah. So the idea of coaching for me is relatively new and I'm adoring it, yeah. um, you know, because it's someone who can see a perspective yeah. and offer a perspective up to the way you're thinking, you know, if you've got old, old thinking to see new thinking against who you are and mm. give it a run is so fascinating. Yeah. And like you're saying, because of your coaching early on, you saw the value in that communication and mentorship with people. Yeah. And that yeah. there is nothing better than someone who believes in you. You know, exactly. it's unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? And also having someone that believes in you outside of your family, it's very, very different to, you know, the encouragement that you might get from a parent. Because you never listen get. to it when it's in yeah. your family. You don't exactly. believe it. <laughs> yeah. and, and also a coach can be really quite firm but fair as well, you know, and that firmness you're more perhaps willing to take it from someone that is outside of your family. Yes, yeah, certainly the sporting part of my life has definitely shown me the power of discipline, I think, and consistency. You know, if, if you really find something that brings about a state of flow for you, whether it's creativity or sport or connection with friends or whatever it is, you want more of that. You know, you want, you want to foster more of that state of flow. So, yeah. Okay, so after you left school, what happened? I actually got into fashion design at RMIT. And again, the persuasion skills I think might have come into play here because I couldn't sew a button at all. So here I was. Not necessary really in your mind. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I had actually worked in fashion since the age of 14. I wanted to be as, and PR really, since the age of 14. I knew I wanted to be as close as I could get to the creative source. And at the time, the fashion world was pretty limited back in the 90s. The only way I could get close to fashion back then was to be close to big event productions. So um, right from the age of 14, I worked at big fashion productions, met a lot of PR people through that experience. And it was before we had Melbourne Fashion Week and any sort of fashion week back then. As we know it. As we know it now. So um, yeah, I had this fashion experience and interest in fashion and design, and I knew that I wanted to be close to that. And fashion designer RMIT was where I landed after school. Did you enjoy it? Of course. It didn't work out, actually. It did. Do you know, it was the first time in my life. I mean, there's, of course, lots of failures in life that you have, but that was a really significant failure for me. That was huge, you know, to really, I actually walked away from that course. I was one of 15 to get into it at the time. I was surrounded by people that were incredible with their pattern making, their sewing. Some of them had even run businesses before and had come back into that course as mature age. And here I was, a 17-year-old turning 18, no sewing skills whatsoever, and just in a state of complete overwhelm. Mm. So um, You freaked out? Freaked out. Yep. I walked out of the exams and that was a pretty gutsy move for me because I've always tried to, you know, not break the rules and stick by the book and do the right thing. But that was a huge failure so for me. So what happened then and how did that propel you forward? I took a year off and much to the disappointment of my family. <laughs> and it was a very confusing year. It was a really, you know, difficult year. I was really, really lost. 
But I went to America and that's when Sex in, Sex in the City was huge. Fantastic. And there was Samantha, Samantha Jones, Sex in the City. Um, and we can talk about Samantha later and how she probably hasn't done all that, you know, there's a thing called, that I call Samantha syndrome when it comes to the perception of what PR is. But it was that trip to America and falling in love with that show and, you know, being with a friend over there, an older friend, a mentor who really brought up this idea of PR and how that I, I could actually pursue my interest in fashion and design and events and beautifully made things if I applied my interest and creativity in the world of PR rather than actually making the clothes. Brilliant. Yeah. So the fact that you took a year off and went to America led to your career. Yeah. So you weren't meant to be at RMIT, meant- were you? Exactly. I came back, studied PR, uh, did a double major in journalism and marketing and absolutely loved it. And then all of a sudden, all of that experience I had as a 14-year-old working at parades and shows and big, big-scale events, it started to all click in for me. Makes sense. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So you've done the course and then I guess there's that moment where you get a job. Where was it? I started off in TV publicity, actually. Wow. May, may not mention the network. <laughs> so what did you have to do there? What was your job role? Well, it sounded, it sounded big and exciting and it was. It was, you know, to be that young working in TV publicity and sharing the elevator with Bert Newton and Rove McManus at the time and that was exciting. But my job was actually to watch episodes of shows that hadn't aired yet and then write about them. And then pitch them into Green Guide and TV Guide journalists. Amazing. Yeah. And ha- did you enjoy that? For me, I felt like it was really limited exposure to this big world of PR that I perceived. I thought, you know, to work in-house and there's in-house PR and agency PR. So in-house is when you're working for one company and when you work in an agency, you represent the companies that come to you for the service. So working with one brand watching um, episodes of children's shows and cooking shows and I really just felt like it was there was more to PR than just that so it wasn't it wasn't for me. I love it Mm. so when did you start RARA? I started RARA uh, in 2011 it's having its 11th birthday if you like this year. That's what an achievement amazing. So through that time from Channel 10 to when I started RARA, I've, I've worked in and out of different agencies. I worked for um, big, big agencies, big ad agencies, boutique PR agencies. I worked um, in-house for some fashion footwear brands and fashion brands and sort of just kept trying to progress in the industry until I landed at Sports Girl and then met you. Mm. So, I, re- I remember I was thinking back to the first conversations had and it was that I'd met you when we you know we'd meet Roy and we'd talk about the windows I met you there but one day you rang me and you said I need a description about the you know the installation you're just about to put into Burke Street I need this I need a bio I need everything I'm like okay so when do you need this you said oh you know tomorrow I'm like yeah yeah sure (laughs) you know hang up you know no intention of getting it to you the next day or whatever, just busy. You know? Yeah, busy. And I got this phone call from you and it was like, where's the stuff? I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh I, don't, I haven't done it. I've been busy sort of thing. And you're like, well, can you get it to me? I'm like, 
Okay. God, I like, hope I was. I hope I no, was kind were, in between. No, you were great. You were like down to ne- business. I need it. It was really good. Oh. Um, and obviously, you know, just well, started that, to chat after that, which was great. That would have been more than fifteen years ago. Mm, yeah, yeah, for I'm sure. Early forties now, and that was late twenties. So yeah. a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Your experience at sports, obviously. We've had a lot of people, you know, on the podcast. Dan Castano was at Sports Girl, so was Beck Ramont, myself. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have gained a lot of experience mm. and a lot of energy from that as a grounding yeah. vocational start of career through your career, the top of your career. That's right. Was Did you get something at Sports Girl that helped you start Rara? Was it directly at- after that? There were several years after the sports girl experience, maybe even 10. I'm losing track of time. It was quite I, quite a substantial amount of years after sports girl before I started Rara. I'm sure we'll talk about the why Rara had to happen. But just circling back to your question, absolutely. Sports girl was such an impressionable time in my career. And even the experiences like the fashion design, the RMIT experience, it didn't quite work out for me. I'm so grateful for everything, but particularly Sports Girl. That was when I was fortunate enough to work with and meet Mary Portis. and One incredible VM yeah, icon. That's right. Incredible. And brand strategist as well and, and a retail brand strategist. And to have that experience to work and learn from her and her team as well. We had trips to Sydney doing media launches and, you know, working with all sorts of media, but just... And not just meeting her, so many people that I met in that business and also working with Naomi Milgram. Of course. And Elle Roseby, who's now at Country Road. And everybody within that business at that time, it was, yeah, it really set me on that path of pursuing, making sure that I always pursued progress within marketing and to never stop, stay still with marketing and PR to always keep evolving. And I think that's what I loved about Sports Girl so much is that it is such a progressive business. It's an iconic business, but it's mm. always fast evolving. And to then go back and work for other businesses after that, where I didn't feel that they were being progressive with marketing, that really ignited that passion to start my own business. Fantastic. So where did you get the name of Rara? Well, it didn't come from the obsession with wearing Rara skirts in the 90s, even though I did have an obsession and there's many photo album battle scars wearing the Rara skirt. It actually was a holding name and I couldn't think of a name for the business. So I thought I'll just call it Rara PR for now because you know that you know that Kanye quote, everything I'm not is everything I am? Yes, but I don't understand it. It's kind of like... Ra-ra, you know, the perception of ra-ra or, or PR people is all ra-ra-ra-ra. You know, we're yeah. just, we're ra-ra-ra-ra. We're, we're just all, we're all Talk. fluff and all bubble but no substance. I thought I've got to create a business um, that is everything that I've been searching for but couldn't find, everything that I had been seeking in the agencies or businesses that I'd worked for that I just I couldn't find for myself. So I you literally created it yourself. Created it. And then so while Rara was a holding name, it came to the point of re- registering the business and I, I didn't have a backup. So I went with it. And Perfect. <laughs> it's really cute. 
It's it's a fun. You know when those businesses came out in two thousand and tens, and everyone was a collective, and and I was just feeling really silly with Rara. No, but, it's perfect. Yeah, you're ahead. You're ahead of the curve. Well, you were the curve. Put it this way: people remember it. So yeah, easy to remember. Yeah, I just love it. I guess this is part of the bigger question that I've got: is what is PR, and I guess why you established it as well. Like what were the things that you wanted to change or you wanted to express through Ra-Ra? What's its heart? Ra-Ra was born out of really a frustration, like a lot of new businesses are. You know, there's a gap. They find a gap in the market. At the time, I felt that PR agencies weren't moving progressively enough with digital media and they weren't at the time, this was 2011, working with influencers as media and they certainly are now like every PR agency offers that and there's you know content strategy and digital strategy and social strategy but back in 2011 having come from sports girl where you know that was a really really important important part of the marketing mix Mm. yeah uh, to go back into businesses that didn't have that that was frustrating so I felt like I want to work in an agency I want to service other businesses. I want to, you know, work with lots of different creatives doing incredible things rather than just one business. Um, But I want to remain progressive when it comes to marketing and PR. When you started it, what services did you offer? Like how wide is PR? Well, just just like I said before, it's it's reputation management. It's getting what you've got to the people who need it most. But as soon as you start getting too fixed on the tactic itself, you've kind of lost the PR game. You know, PR is everything and anything in the marketing mix. It's it's any tool in the bag. It's email marketing. It's copywriting. It's event production. It's brand strategy, brand identity. And what PR does is strategically shape perception in people's minds. Given that we now know what PR is, which is, as you've said, getting into taking what you've got and getting into the hearts and minds of the people who need it most. Yeah. How does a strategy and then the tactics flow from that? Often we ask people about their creative process. I guess Maybe I'm asking, what's the PR process? Well, my process could be a bit different to other people because I I think a lot of PR people sit up in that publicity triangle. You know, I kind of think of building a brand and PR as this triangle and up the top is the publicity component. But there's all this stuff, foundation stuff that needs to happen to help build a brand. And that's what PR is. It's building brand. It's building legacy. It's building reputation. And what... What PR does is it helps to create the sum of all impressions in someone's mind. So it really, what we do as PR people is we look at all the touch points for a business, the website, the social media, the digital strategy, copywriting, you know, point of sale if it's retail, or we look at every single touch point, even the DMs that a, that a business might be responding to its audience with. Great PR is the ability to strategically execute on all of those things in a way that will create a really positive experience for their ideal target audience. Perfect. Um, I'm understanding it now. I'm loving (laughs) it. 
I have heard you speak when you talk about PR, you often talk about what you call slow PR yes. and kind PR. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Oh, wow. How long have we got? All afternoon. <laughs> Look, when I started to talk about kind PR and slow PR, that's when really Rara PR got the audience that it did on its platforms, particularly Instagram, but also our database. And it's because I started to talk about the things that make PR life difficult for the PR pros and what PR people need most is lead time. And we also actually need our clients to understand how PR works so that everybody can live happily ever after. So PR, slow, when I talk about slow PR, it's really about, it has a double meaning for me. It's about taking things on mindfully because look, when you, when you strap PR power to something, you're going to build that brand. And eventually over time, you will generate sales. And while PR is not a sales function, it's a communications function. Over a really long period of time, it, it does, gen it raises revenue. So I think for me, it's really important that I make a conscious decision to put that PR power towards things that are considering planet people before profit. Um, so slow has that meaning, but it also has that meaning of really, I'm hoping to really cultivate proper lead time for PR people by talking more and more about it. Because I think, you know, PR is constantly ranked one of the most stressful jobs of all time, like constantly for years and years, decades. It's right up there with surgeons. Because mm, we all watched Absolutely Fabulous <laughs> and saw how the PR <laughs> went in that, you know. Well, exactly. You know, there's the, there's the ab fab perception of PR and then there's the West Wing perception, so issues yes. management. And then there's Samantha syndrome from Sex and the City, you know, where people think it's all fluff and bubble. But that, that perception of PR and um, PR being publicity and publicity alone, that needs to evolve because I think if we come back to that point I made about PR shares stories, it builds connection, ignites imagination and inspires us to, you know, really understand each other and connect. You know, mm. PR brings about connection and community and the way you do that can actually be any which way, not just publicity. Mm. So I guess in what ways has PR changed? What yeah. would you do 10 years ago and, you know, now you're doing something else? Mm. How is it changing? Well, I can certainly say 20 years ago in PR, it was a lot of publicity. You know, the strategy, 80%, 90% of your strategy was media outreach and relying on media to tell your stories for the people you represent or the, the business you represent. But now you don't have to wait for media to tell your story, to build brand, to build community, to build connection. It's mm, great. You can tell your story through all of your own platforms and that's what we do now in PR in 2022. It's all about taking ownership of your own narrative and, you know, from a tactical point of view, it's getting on TikTok. Mm. It's doing lives on LinkedIn. And making sure, particularly creatives, not getting too attached to the platform that you might have won on in the past. Because mm. what we're seeing a lot now is, you know, people getting really, really attached to Instagram 
and then, you know, bad-mouthing Instagram, if you like, because the algorithm is punishing them or their posts aren't getting visibility anymore, but the, the platform's changed mm. and the free lunch is over. And, you know, really good organic visibility now is happening on LinkedIn in video and also on TikTok. So our PR strategies would include that most of the time. Wow. So who are your clients? What type of businesses? Is it, you know, community groups? Is it business to business? Is it creatives? Who are your preferred customers? Well, I think uh, if you look at Rara's content, we're very, very drawn to businesses that make beautiful things, you know, really beautifully made, handmade, design-driven things. So that can be in the fashion industry, ceramics, art, architecture, interiors. So certainly feel like I've cheated on fashion over the years (laughs) with all of these other design industries but we also do a lot of corporate PR as well you know helping corporates reach connect uh, reach creatives and creative industries or helping corporates navigate TikTok mm-hmm. and LinkedIn strategies when they don't you know have the time to do it or, or know how. I do feel like maybe it's an incorrect perception you can change me on this but I feel like a lot of um, bigger fashion brands are very impatient about PR, like in terms of the outcomes, what it is, you know, delayed gratification, sometimes confusion, are we selling, are we building the brand, is spending the money on brand value, you know, that sort of thing. Why are Australian brands so impatient? It's such a good question. It's such a they? Yeah, they are. And they leave PR to the very last minute, which doesn't give PR people the best opportunity to talk to them the results. Here's the thing. PR is infinite. It's like a best friend by your side forever and always for all eternity cheering you on. That, That really is, that's PR. And it's infinite. It's not just a, oh, let's book PR and we need an event and let's invite the people and you know, but the pu- then the publicity and awareness is over as soon as you're cleaning the champagne glasses mm. and it didn't change that business or its outcomes or really raise awareness at all, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I think it is an Australian thing. I think um, American brands do this so well. They commit to a long-term PR strategy and relationship. They know that PR has to exist at the same time as its business if they want to build its brand. In your orbit, in the PR space, who's doing great PR now? Who do you think? Great question because it really gives me the ability to reinforce that PR is not publicity and publicity alone. There's a couple of businesses that I just I love their approach to PR and one of them is Girlfriend Collective. It's an American business they make active wear out of plastic bottles, you know, recycle everything, plastic bottles. You know, that's PRable just there, just mm. there alone. But they do body inclusion so well. They do age inclusion so well, storytelling so well. And the funny thing is, is they've got incredible PR, but they don't do any traditional publicity at all. 
So, you know, they've built an amazing audience, really connected and engaged audience, you know, but no, but no traditional publicity. So, so via what means? Well, you've got to have a good product to start with. Yeah. To have great PR, it starts with a product. Yeah. Starts it's with, innate in the brand, isn't yeah. it, really? Let's assume that good PR, we're working with great products. Of course. And we're working with incredible design. So yep. they've got that down pat, beautiful branding. You know, they're executing on social media really, really well. And what they do is they take their audience along the ride with them and they say, hey, we didn't get this quite right, but we're going to do better. And they, you know, what I think what's really important to a great PR strategy now in 2022 is to make sure that you've got a really, really, your cause really, really clear for everybody to see because that's how we choose brands. That's how we shop from one brand over another. And so I love Girlfriend Collective because they've got the 1960s strategy of PR, the 1980s, they've got the 2000s, the 2020s, and they've got the now PR strategy all in one, and none of that includes publicity. Mm. So when I talk about that, um, you know, legacy type PR, back in the 60s to PR something well, it was all about the features. This thing has so many more features. And benefits. Yeah. And then yeah, the 80s. I remember that. Features and benefits. Features and benefits. Benefits moved into, yeah, into the 80s. And then in the early 2000s, which is when I met you, it was all about the experience. You know, buy this thing over the, the next thing or love this thing over the next thing because it came with brand memories and experience. And that's when we started to see DJs popping up in stores, you know, in retail stores. There was mm. music in there and there was every Friday night. Every Friday night, come down, yep. bring your friends and it becomes a um, you know, a meeting place, a hub. Yeah, that's the that's the 2000s approach to PR and then in the 2020s it's all about having aligned values and and you would know yourself that you will buy one thing over another because of what it says about you. People want to do good in the world and we rely on the brands that we shop with to make it easier for us to do that. And so, you know, 2020s, we will buy one T-shirt over another because we can see plain and clear in their content strategy and their PR and their marketing that our values align. And now in 2022, accelerated by everything that's happened in the past two years, we want the brands that we shop with to have a cause as well. and you know, to go back to your question, it's a really long answer, but Girlfriend Collective does all of that. They've got the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, 20s, and they've got the cause beyond themselves. And it's really, really clear to see that in all of their content and communications. And so it's easy to shop with them. Mm. Mm. And I think a lot of brands are still stuck back in features and benefits or they're stuck back, you know, somewhere in the 2000s and thinking that PR is all publicity and they're forgetting that what they're actually trying to do is connect with and build community. Amazing. I mean, that, yeah, connect with community, that is, yeah. that's a whole other topic on its own. Isn't yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Amazing. So if you had a business now, if you were starting a business and you had to pick what you were going to do for PR, mm. what would constitute a strategy? Like what would you put together? Okay. Money's no object, of course. Well, the first thing I would do doesn't cost a whole lot. It's just okay. really clever thinking 
and that is getting the brand down to one single core message. The end. That's it. Clarity. But clarity. And then because we've got so many platforms to build story on, you know, we've got all the platforms. We've got TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, IGS, IGS Lives, all of the things. We need to know where those stories are coming from, you know, the heart and soul. And so the very first step when starting a business or starting a clever PR strategy is to get that brand down to one single core message and then all of the stories come, you know, survive off that. And should businesses change that message over time or is it more the platforms change? I suppose it's, I guess it's if they want to change, really. The purpose never changes. Mm. The purpose is actually within you, the person starting the business and your core purpose and your core values in life rarely, if ever, actually change. Mm. And, and when I run um, brand audits and um, brand discoveries with teams, sometimes they'll ask that question, oh, hang on, what if my values are different to the company owner's values and how does that work? But usually, you know, we work with brands that we are aligned to in terms of sharing values and personal values and so if you're working in a business or with a client where your values don't align it usually doesn't feel very good Mm. and it doesn't usually last so people that are working in a business usually attracted to that business because they share values yeah so yeah the the purpose doesn't really change the core message doesn't change of course the stories laid on top change and the way you tell the story changes um, and the platforms are constantly changing in this content economy, but yeah. I've noticed you're very transparent in your digital world. Um, Your personal aesthetic is so resolved from your beautiful mid-century home in in Melbourne to your only neutrals clothing, Mm. as you are today. Yeah, some gorgeous clotted cream there. (laughs) Um, I get a very strong presence and a sense of who you are even before you speak. You've often, when we've talked about things, you've often talked about the importance of founder PR and um, talk a, talk to me about why you think it's important for a founder to have a presence online because I think this is a massive thing for creative people. You know, in the past they're very clever at what they do. I'll just do that and keep in the background, avoid the limelight. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, we have the question, you know, at the end of every interview about you front or back of house and yeah. 99% of the people um, say back of house. Mm. So I'm really interested to hear and I'm sure people listening to this would love to hear about founder PR and why it's necessary. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's an important part of modern day marketing and I actually battle with it myself personally because I've spent two decades of my career PRing everybody else and I think a lot of creators would really relate to that they just love doing the work they love getting the work done but now people want to connect with the humans behind the brand they want to know the people behind the brand they want to know where that purpose for that brand started and we shop with businesses that we know like and trust we hear that a lot, you know, in marketing speak. 
But how can you know, like, and trust a business that doesn't have a face or doesn't have people behind the brand? So CEO PR and founder PR, um, much to my discomfort, you know, here I am today doing podcast, <laughs> you know, it, it's a different skill, but it's, it's incredibly important for all of those things. Mm. And I guess that's, you know, I've seen you do it. I've seen you get on Instagram lives and just make it happen. And that's... Yes a really great example, you know, for people to go, well, maybe I can do that too, you know? Well, well it's, it's funny that you yeah. bring, it's funny, yeah. and I wasn't going to mention this until after the podcast actually. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to mention it now. I, the only other time I've done a podcast, I had a major anxiety attack. Like I could not speak. Oh, well, you're doing pretty well today. <laughs> <laughs> what about, yeah, we're a fair while in and here I am. Yeah, still um, going. <laughs> but that's, you know, that was a couple of years ago and that's because walking into a boardroom to pitch your business to win business or talking to board of directors about PR strategy and, you know, how to market their business, I was fine with that. That, that sort of role I'm really comfortable in. But to step forward and put yourself out there in the spotlight and to talk about what you know, yeah, it's a completely different skill but so necessary. I am interested, just you mentioned there presenting to CEOs and presenting to marketing managers. One thing we've talked about a lot on this podcast is actually how people present to their clients. Are there any tips or tricks, or not tricks, but hacks when you're presenting how do you present to people? What's your approach? What's your angle? Well, this is actually one of the most important skills to PR ever. So this tip that I'm about to share is actually something you can use when presenting to a room, trying to win a client or putting yourself forward for a new job or a brand partnership. And that is to center what you're doing in giving and not taking. And it sounds, sounds cliched. Sounds great. Sounds a little bit cliched, but it's funny oh. how for how often it's forgotten. Can you explain it? So if you're an intern, for example, and you're wanting to reach out to a PR agency or any business for a, a new experience and you're putting yourself forward, it usually sounds, and this is what influencers do as well when they reach out to PR agencies, they say, hi, I'd love to work with you. And then they talk all about themselves and why they need the opportunity. You know, sometimes it's to help them get to the next thing or they'd love to learn from you or, but none of that is centered in giving. And I think, you know, when you pitch to media, you've absolutely got to center that pitch in giving. It's not about, hey, can you run my story because I really need you to run it. It's about, hey, I've got something really special here that's actually going to really place beautifully for your audience and it's going to give you something that you haven't had before yeah it's it's a PR it's a it's a little PR tip but I think it's just a life thing you know always center your presentation in what you can give not what you can get Um, and for interns or people who might be lacking experience in a certain area you can always draw on your personal traits to add value to bring value or to center that pitch in giving and it's true it the client ultimately is there, they're the caretaker of their brand yeah. and they're wanting to move it forward. So I guess they're looking for how you can help evolve their brand. That's I right. that's the yeah. gift, isn't it? Absolutely. I love and that. The other thing too would be research. 
you know, absolutely know the landscape that you're in, know who you're speaking to, know what they've done before, really, really authentically. Um, and that's the, that's the same for media. When you're pitching to media, so much of our time is actually spent in research before we even get to that point where we're pitching something to like, give. Have they done that story last year? Yeah. Or have they? Yeah. What have they written about, you know, target audience? A seasoned PR person will know target audiences easily, but someone sort of new coming up through the ranks, they're going to have to spend a lot of time in research. Yeah. You've mentioned that with your clients, often the messaging is the same sort of there's a, I guess, a heart or a core of a brand and you're having to bring newness around that brand each year, kind of like in fashion in a way, you know, you need to keep it looking fresh. How do you how do you keep coming up with ideas to change it? How do you do that? So you're talking about campaign imagery or content or yeah, all of the all above. Of it. Yeah, all of it, yeah, just to keep it looking fresh. I think, you know, we're, we're in a content economy and content is everywhere and what, what's important is to keep your content when you're building brand um, is consistent and cohesive. But you're right, you know, you've got to keep evolving that and I think You've got to stay true to your brand aesthetic, but, you know, always seek out ways to keep it um, relevant and new. And I think it's it's often defined or when we're coming up with strategies, it's defined by where the attention is and how people like to consume that content on that particular platform. Mm -hmm. And that will often dictate what we create and how we create it. So, you know, staying true to the native environment of that particular platform to tell story. So the way we tell stories on LinkedIn is very, very different to how we tell stories on TikTok or, you know, Instagram Lives, for example, or Clubhouse, mm. social mm. audio app. You know, it's all, yeah. So I think letting the um, the platform dictate almost, you know, what's relevant for that brand in terms of content. I love it. So tell me, have influencers had their day? Not at all. They're just getting started. So just firing up. Just firing up. So influencers have really been around since 2007, back in the day of the bloggers. And look, there were influencers before then as well. There were celebrities and supermodels and TV journalists. But now anyone can be an influencer. And, and where it's evolving is um, brands working more and more with micro-influencers. So what we're looking for when we're aligning a brand with an influencer are some of those things that I talked about before, aligned values and a cause beyond themselves. And what we're seeing, which I'm loving um, and it really defines most of our strategy when we work with influencers is partnering with influencer activists, you know, making sure that we're not just, we're not just giving someone a dress to wear because they create content wearing dresses. We're giving stories and opportunities to people because they have something of great substance to say. And, you know, it's, that's where influencer the influencer trends and influencer strategy has gone. And also micro-influencers and just because everybody is a roving media agency now, everybody is a roving mm -hmm. media machine, everyone has the ability to influence. And, yeah, as I said, brands more and more now are going to be partnering with, um, you know, your next-door neighbour because mm -hmm. they're super passionate about a niche in a particular industry. Mm, I love that. Okay, so... You obviously know a hell of a lot 
about PR. Um, you know, over the last two decades, you've not only learnt your craft, you've also got an angle on how you see it should be delivered. When was it that you decided that your incredibly huge body of work should be shared with PR people and people who are just in business who need to know about PR? So we were just blown away on your website that um, you found a way to share with people what you know about PR and monetize it in with such clarity. Congratulations. Oh, Amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it, it's incredible. So you've made it really easy for people to become involved with PR. Tell me about that move from, you know, knowing it all and now you're sharing it all. Well, I, I think, you know, it was, I've just wanted to really help people unlearn what they think PR is. And one thing I noticed working for all the different agencies and businesses that I'd worked with over the years before starting Rara PR is that for most people, PR was not accessible. It was a service that they wanted and needed and they were doing incredible things, but it wasn't accessible to them or sustainable. And quite often people didn't know what PR was in the first place. It was this mystical behemoth that nobody really knew. They knew they needed it. They thought it was publicity that's really one dimensional. So this need in me, you know, I think just experiencing all of that and the frustration just really ignited this need for me to share. And I think it comes back to having worked in PR for 27 years, you know, since a, as a 14 year old and seeing how fast, particularly now PR is evolving back as a 14 year old, there were fax machines involved and, mm. you know, it's just. So sh talking about PR and sharing my experience and um, hoping to influence perception of what PR is and how it works really comes from this real life experience of seeing it evolve. And, you know, the minute we get attached to a single platform or a definition of what we, of how we do PR, I think that's when you've really lost the game. And I guess seeing what you've created online to teach people about that has been pretty amazing. So tell me about the workshops and when did you get this website happening? It's so detailed. Oh, well, um, when I started RARA, you know, my purpose, we've spoken about purpose today and the need to have a core purpose for a brand. It, it was to make PR accessible and sustainable and my single core message is kind. And that was something I set out to do. I wanted to cultivate kindness for PR people with their clients and also within the PR industry itself. Back in the day, PR people didn't really talk to each other. And, you know, it was that there was a real scarcity mindset around business. So I started the business wanting, wanting to make PR accessible, sustainable and cultivate kindness. And for me, that meant creating courses and it also meant finding ways to make PR accessible at any stage of your business journey. So I always wanted to teach PR 
I never wanted to teach PR 100%. I always want to work in consulting and have the agency and the clients. But um, I just had this inbuilt need to teach it and find ways to make it accessible. So I've done that through the digital products. And it is amazing. We were on your site, as I said, and I just can't believe how detailed it is from the workshops or the personal coaching right down to, you know, click the template, pay for it and download it and use it now. And download it. It's so resolved. Yeah. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. That was the blessing of the beautiful heart of COVID actually because, you know, I had this vision of what I wanted the business to be, to have all of these layers of PR to make it accessible. But, you know, over the past decade we've just been so busy with clients that it wasn't always possible to deliver it the way I saw it could be. So COVID really protected that time for me to create the digital product system and the online education experience and it's just it's a beautiful exchange and it really brings more people into the fold of the PR world which I love. I mean that's part of your legacy I feel like you're just warming up you know in your 40s I feel like there's a more massive pace to come for you with all of this I think this is just the just the beginning. I am interested to know how you've monetized the online part of your business. How did you work out um, what you'd charge for your brilliance, I guess, you know, for these courses? How did you work that out? What, how did you go about that? Well, look, I think it's, it's, it's no lie that PR people aren't great with numbers. <laughs> I think oh, I, I know, but you've priced everything. Amazing. Well, look, I just pulled some numbers out of the sky and Perfect. I, you know, asked around. I, I thought, Look, you know, some of those digital products clients have paid thousands for, you know, and those products allow them to access templates that we use in the business every day. The difference is, you know, that one is um, done for you where we manage it all for you and the other one is DIY and not everybody can DIY or has the time to. But in terms of pricing and monetization. I guess I haven't thought that much about that part of the business. I just knew that I had to create it. Mm. It wasn't so much this, oh, I need to create a passive Another income. Another arm of my business. Yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah. a, I need to create a passive income. It wasn't, I need mm. to productize knowledge. It was, you know, getting back to that 2011 when I, I wanted to create the business that I was searching for but couldn't find and sort of solve those problems in, in a way to make PR accessible, sustainable and kind and the only way I could really see that to to make that possible was to create different investment levels p- for PR to access for people to access PR I love it I really like it it's great I've got a couple of uh questions now which are faster okay rapid um, fire a rapid fire but one of them I'm just looking at now that's maybe not actually as rapid fire so I might ask it now okay there are a whole lot of shows on television and radio called Reputation Rebuild. Oh. So, you know, I'm always interested in our world. This is kind of not related really, but, you know, you see sports people behaving badly. Yes. Politicians behaving badly. Yes. And they seem to get away with some really bad, bad stuff. Yeah. Um, how do PR agencies rebuild reputations 
So we're talking about issues management here, crisis okay. and issues. I'll put my crisis mode on. Yeah. Firstly, acknowledge fault really quickly. Mm. Like come out and say sorry. And it's yeah. so funny how, you know, people who are protecting their brand and their integrity and their social cachet find that crisis and issues tip so hard. Mm. I know that the PR people behind the scenes are saying acknowledge fault, you know, get out there quickly, don't delay because, you know, a wildfire can spread really, really quickly on social media. So that's why we see a lot of this announcement culture now where, you know, people with a profile will just flip their phone, turn it on themselves and acknowledge what went wrong. Give and their own bad news first. And turn it into a positive. You know, I made a mistake. I'm human, but this is what I'm doing about it. And, and it, it's just another way of humanising the brand. Amazing. We'll all have to remember that. But that's a pretty great tip for life. If you do something wrong, apologise. Apologise. Isn't that a great tip Acknowledge for life? It. Yeah. <laughs> and see, it. that's people think PR is smoke and mirrors and that, you know, it's creating something out of nothing. But it's actually getting to the truth and getting to the core and bringing that to life. Wow. Amazing. Jade, what's the worst thing about PR? I think when you don't have enough lead time to get the job done well, I think. That's what makes PR really challenging and combined with the mystical behemoth of, um, you know, global misunderstanding of what PR really is. They're two things. Two things. See, you're on fire. What's the best thing about PR? The ability to give voice to people who need to be heard. You have celebrated 10 years of PR last year. Pretty incredible achievement. Congratulations. In a lockdown with no party. FYI. Amazing. <laughs> um, what can we expect for Rara in the future? More of what we're doing. I feel like Rara is finally in its 11th year. It is where I always imagined it would get to in terms of creating more ways that PR can be accessible and sustainable. This is really a dream come true for me. I finally feel like we're doing the right combination of education and client work. So I think it's just, it's more of that. How incredible is that just to get to that point where you're in flow? Yeah, it feels very much like a new era in terms of, um, yeah, this next decade. Fantastic. It's a new era for everyone. I love that. I love it. Are you front of house or back of house? Back of house. Even though people might find that hard to believe because I force myself Well, your forward. job is front of house, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. I love pushing clients forward. So the yes, last few decades, pushing clients forward into the spotlight and now forcing myself forward and that it, it's very much a, it's a learned skill and something I need to keep practising at which I'm sure you will nail, (laughs) you've already given us some pretty major quotes today. As you say, you know, you talk in quotes and I love it. Have you got any other quotes you'd like to share with us? I do speak in quotes because it's the easiest way to communicate what PR is and how it works. I am so here for it. Here's one. There's no brand without awareness and there's no awareness without PR. That is amazing. Do you want a bigger one? Yeah. That's enough. That's great. (laughs) One is enough. You have nailed it. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. I hope everyone has had a notebook and pen out because I feel like there are so many uh, 
nuggets of wisdom in there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Good to um, be here. Yeah. And I think it's time for some Bread Club cookies now. Certainly is. Let's do it. 